new math is with my motherfuckers ass. You wanna know how to rhyme? You better learn how to add. It's mathematics. <laughs> Mighty most definitely. <laughs> it's simple mathematics. Check it out. <laughs> I revolve around science. What are we talking about here? Peace, peace, peace. Welcome to another episode of Wise the Dome. Today I have a very, very special guest, man. He's a, uh, he's a hip-hop journalist, an award-winning documentary and filmmaker. Um, the brother is extremely wise, man, and it's an honor and a pleasure to have him on. Raheem Shabazz, thank you for coming through, God. Peace, Black man. It's my pleasure. Anytime that I get an opportunity to build with my air like, man, it's always a monumental moment. So I am blessed and I'm ready to receive. No doubt, God. Same here, God. And so I like to start from the beginning, you know what I mean? Um, before we get into uh, your works, uh, what kind of sparked you on your path to knowledge yourself and wanting to know who you were and learn your history and your origin in the world? Yeah, I got the knowledge itself when I was 13 years old. Mm. You know, a lot of my family members is a part of the first resurrection. Mm -hmm. That don't know what that is. Those was the brothers and sisters that was in Moss Number Seven in Harlem. You know, so um, I had a lot of uh, individuals in my family that was a part of that, and then I had an uncle that um, was a part of the Nation of Gods and Earth, and um, he returned to the essence, and um, they named me after him. His name was Raheem. Mm -hmm. So um, me knowing that, you know, it always sparked my interest. I was always around brothers that had knowledge of self. And then when I was 13, you know, I became a part of the nation of gods and earth. And, um, you know, Marcus Garvey, you know, he, he said that ignorance rules the world and, it, you know, uh, um, ignorance rules the world. Intelligence rules the world and ignorance carries a burden. Mm. So, you know, I always was attracted to those who was of like mind and was intelligent. Yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Um, you also uh hip hop journalist, man, have has written for, you know, many of the major hip hop publications. Um, how'd you get how'd you get your start in that and what was your experience like when you was doing that? Yeah, well, I, I, I was um coming up of age during, you know, hip hop mm. from its formation in the 70s, right? So I was always around the culture. And um, everybody told me I was a prolific writer. So I began to write for The Source, Vibe, XXL, Rolling Out, Urban Enterprise, wow. Break Magazine, and a lot of uh, publications known and unknown. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how I, I, I kind of like got my start. And I interviewed everybody from 50 Cent to Tyler Perry to Magic Johnson mm -hmm. and um, a who's who. In, in, in hip hop. And then um, in like 20, I want to say 13, I seen that there was a shift in, in, in hip hop, you know, as far as the journalism. Um, no one was writing compelling stories from mm. the hip hop culture. Um, you read the magazines and it was more like they was coming glorified groupies of these celebrities yeah. Yeah. and um I, I i wasn't a part of that um that's when a lot of the um gossip websites came into uh play and um not gonna lie i did that for a little while too mm -hmm. but it was very short-lived mm -hmm. um because it wasn't something that you know resonated with me right and um i had a, a movie script that i had written several years ago and um, I began to formulate that and, and put that into effect. Uh, and that's when I did my first movie, The Sun Will Rise. Mm. And then I went on to do several other different movies, The Kissing Bandit, and started shooting commercials, music videos. And then it led me onto the path of the documentary. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Before we um, get into the documentary, you know, I have a lot of hip hop artists that come on here as well, um, doing their thing on the independent scene. And and uh, I was on a, 
looking at a few, you know, every now and then you'll go to, I'll go to a few uh, hip hop uh, websites and I'm looking at the articles that they, that they, they have on there. And it's like, mm-hmm. who tweeted this or, or who, who's dating this, who's dating this person or, you know, things of that nature. Right. And you mm-hmm. mentioned how hip hop journalism changed. Um, what do you think the role of real hip hop journalism should be and is? The role of hip hop journalism should always be authentic. Mm. It should always be the voice for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's speaking about social injustice that's happening in the community. Because remember, you know, from the inception of hip hop, there was no corporate sponsors. This was a voice that was seldom heard and was speaking about injustice, what was going on in the ghetto communities, whether mm-hmm. you go back to the message from Melly Mel. And um, I, I think that that was missing. That element was missing. And as you said, it was more interested in, in covering, you know, who's sleeping with who and, you know, who got arrested. And it, it, it just, you know, it just went left. Right. But as with anything, it always come back full circle. And that is not, you know, what hip hop is. Uh, despite what many may believe, that is just what the dominant culture uh, puts out there uh, on their on their media sites. Mm-hmm. But those that are authentic hip hop heads, you can find real, actual hip hop journalism. You can find real hip hop that doesn't degrade black women. That's not rapping about crime, drugs, and you know mayhem. Mm-hmm. So. The only thing that's missing is the balance now. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'll, I'll be a hypocrite and say, you know, I didn't like NWA, right. you know, um, right. some of these other records. Um, but there was always a balance, you know. Give me NWA, you also gave me Ice Cube. Yeah. You know, when he went solo, you gave me Public Enemy, or Poor Righteous Teachers. That balance is no longer there. Yeah, I agree totally. Um, yeah, your works with Elementary Genocide 1, 2, and 3. First, I got to take my hat off to you. I commend you for that work. It's powerful and very much needed. Obviously, it's won awards, um, has a lot of great people in it. Uh, for those who have it, um, well, actually, before, I, before we go there, out of all of the topics you could have attacked, when it comes to you know our plight, because there's several. Obviously, you know we we get attacked from all different ends. Um, mm-hmm. Why was uh, education and and school and uh, the school to prison pipeline? Why was that something that you said, okay, I'm going to focus on this with these documentaries, put this out? Like, what was it about that topic that made you want to go in? Well, it all started from a, um, a paper that I was doing in college. Mm. And during my research, I discovered that in New York City, 85% of the inmates that was in New York State prison come from these eight neighborhoods. Mm. Um, so I began to look at the neighborhoods, the disparity in education. And then when I went deeper down the rabbit hole, I began to see that um the state and the school look at the reading scores of third and fourth graders and they able to determine how many prisons they're going to build in the next 10 to 15 years. And then they essentially sell these prisons on the stock market. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a, a, a ticker on their website for the stock market. And their logo is, uh, if we build it, they will come. Wow. And so I, I did massive research. And as you, as you know, I interviewed a who's who in and outside the conscious community, some known and some unknown. And um, we put that together and it, and it was a bonafide hit. Yeah, it, I mean, great, great uh, documentary series. People still, you know, watch it and buy it to this day. For those who may not um, have seen it, uh, Tell, tell them who are some of the people that you did interview, um, you know, for this documentary series. Uh, I interviewed everybody from Umar Johnson, Dr. Umar Johnson, 
um, Killer Mike, David Banner, Professor James Small, Cobb Academy. I even got an interview with uh, Dr. Francis Quest Wellsen, Supreme Understanding, um, Zaza Ali, uh, the brother named uh, Professor Ed Garns, Deruba Ben Wadhard, just so many brothers and sisters, you know, because um, mm -hmm. it's a three-part series. Right. You know, um, the school to prison pipeline is number one. Mm -hmm. Elementary genocide two is the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And in that one, we went back to the landmark ruling of Brown versus Board of Education. And um, we asked the proverbial question, has it done us more harm than good? And we know it has done us extreme harm that we fill in the regiments of that today, That's in real time. So um, we did that. Then we went to part three, which was called Academic Holocaust. Mm. And that, we put that out during the um, 2020 uprising. And we wanted to show that the assassination of the black bodies and assassination and stagnation of your critical thinking is, is nothing different. You know yeah. what I mean? They, they kill your mind in the institutions of higher learning and they kill your physical bodies in the streets by uh, state sanctioned murders by the police. You know, I was, um, that kind of leads into what I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, mom to tech mom. Um, two questions, I asked the first one. All right, so, you know, the first one uh, being about the school to prison pipeline. I've seen people online actually deny that the school to prison pipeline exists. For those who don't know what the school to prison pipeline is, explain, you know, what that is and, and how it's uh, implemented, you know, to uh, destroy our youth. Essentially what the school to prison pipeline is, is taking children from the classroom to the prison yard. And they do this with certain laws, uh, certain rules, certain regulations. Um, when you go and you look at a school and you look at how it's structured, when you come in, you go through a metal detector. They have bells. When, they, when you go from one classroom to the other, they want you to walk in a single file. All of this is implemented in, in, in the penal system. When you look at the colors, the, 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 the cafeteria, the same food, well, it's probably not the same food, but it's similar. It, it's served in the prison. Mm. So all of this, it, it, there's a correlation, right? Um, if you look at New York State Teacher Retirement Fund, they invest their money in private prisons. Wow. And then when you look at... Wow. The majority of school teachers are females. The majority of school teachers are predominantly white. So we got predominantly white females, right? 75% of them are married to someone that's in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say in law enforcement, I'm not just talking about uh, police officers. I'm talking about correction officers. I'm talking about probation officers. I'm talking about judges. Anybody that's involved in the criminal justice system. So here it is, you have the white female that mentally miseducates you. And then you have the white male that physically locks you up. Mm. Physically incarceration. Mm, crazy. So there's a correlation there. There, there there's, there's so many correlations that I can give and I can show. I remember when, I think it was Eric Garner, when he passed away, right? During that school year, the start of that school year, and, and this was as well documented, you can look on the internet, I think it was in the Daily News and the Post, um, they had teachers that on their first day of school, 
they all wore shirts, right? That was backing the police. Mm. These are these are white female teachers, and um, there, there, there's just so many instances that will show you that it's better that you either homeschool your, your children or you send them to an Afrocentric school. You know, there, there's zero percentage of school-to-prison pipeline for those that homeschool their children. There's right. also hmm. a higher level of graduation um, and academic success for those that are homeschooled. There's a different learning mechanism that are different when you look at black children and white children. Mm -hmm. And they have done a study of, of school teachers. 85% of them do not have their children in public school. Wow, yeah. And they right. definitely don't have them in the school that they teach in. Right, right. You know, so they know that <clears throat> education is subpar mm -hmm. because wasn't why you don't have your children coming to the same school that you teach in. Right. Wouldn't it be a win-win? Right. You know, after work, you pick up your son, you go mm -hmm. home, pick up your daughter or whatever, and you go home. No, they send them to private schools. Right. You know, I saw um our is a couple of years back, maybe last year sometime. Um, one of the spots that's being gentrified uh in New York is uh, I think it may have been Harlem. Mm -hmm. Um and it was interesting, right, because these people were white liberals, you know, the ones that uh, got the Black Lives Matter uh, signs in their in they window, right? Yeah. Um, they were upset because something happened to where it was a possible drawing of the lines where their, where their children were going to have to go to school with in predominantly black schools or which work and they weren't having it and it's interesting because you just pointed it out if there was nothing wrong with these schools why would they be protesting sending their children going to those schools yeah you gotta be careful of those white liberals you know Malcolm X he warned us mm -hmm. about that over 50 years ago right you know the wolf and the fox yeah 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 you know um, and yeah, they I, right. The wolf and the fox—they both are, in my opinion, are equally. They're in the—they're on the same team. Let's put it like that. Mm -hmm. um, Democrats and Republican. Yeah, you know, two wings of the same, same bird. bird. Right and exactly. You know, the, the interesting thing though, how those liberals were protesting, sending their uh, children to school with uh, black kids. Uh, you know, a lot of places in the South critical race theory, which is, uh, I spoke with uh, Dr. Kamal Rashid um, last week and uh, we were talking about how, you know, he didn't, he didn't see anything CRT related until he was getting his PhD, right? But now it's become this buzzword that uh, is used um, by right-wingers in order to uh, curate the curriculum that our children receive even more. They were already receiving a curriculum that really didn't uh, tell them much about themselves or their history. But now, you know, they're, it's being curated even more. Um, for somebody, it's a docu documentary filmmaker that's had everybody from, you know, Professor James Smalls and Killer Mike on there, you know. Uh, do you think that this is just an extension of the elementary genocide that you have made these films about? Well, let, let me go back to what you were saying about uh, critical race theory, right? Mm -hmm. And how people understand this, right? When you look at our great grandma's teacher, John Henry Clark, he mm -hmm. taught many years yes. at college, right? Mm -hmm. In the uh, Black African Studies Program. And Columbia. Um, you had Kaba Kenmi, you have Professor James Small, and you have Black Study Program in, in mostly every historical Black college. Mm -hmm. All the city colleges had Black Studies Program in there. We had to fight uh, 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 tooth and nail to get it done, 
right? Yeah. And get it implemented, and eventually it happened, right? But that was good because we was just talking about our greatness, our history. You know, we delved into slavery, but we know our history begins before slavery. We was talking mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, ancient uh, civilization, the Nile Valley, Timbuktu, you know, and, and that was cool with the white liberals and, and everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. But as soon as you start talking about the peculiar institute of slavery, the mm-hmm. brutality and the savagery of the Caucasian race, oh, now it's a problem. Right. You know, when you start talking about um, those who they hold in high self-esteem, like Robert E. Lee and this statue got to come down and all of these racist institutions and how the president of Harvard owned slaves, George Washington mm-hmm. owned slaves, all of the founding fathers owned slaves. And you're starting to put this together and you're putting up a mirror and showing the miracle who they really is. Now it's a problem. Mm. So um, that, 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 that's essentially what it is. But if you really look at what they describe critical race theory as, that's not even being taught in school. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And it, it, it's pretty much, you know, anything that's going to um, offend white people or make them feel bad about their history is not to be taught. Yeah, right. Um, it, you know, how important is it? You know, you, you got knowledge yourself at 13 and you've been, you know, an avid reader ever since, right? Um, and, you know, <clears throat> how important is it for our youth to begin to, you know, learn uh, their history and who they are and, you know, what they've been through and the things that they've accomplished from an early age? Uh, they need to start growing before they they need to start learning before they even come out of the womb, brother. Mm. Um, when, when a woman is pregnant, one of a queen is pregnant, she needs to be reading to the baby. Mm. Um, their their mind is developing, and in their formative years is where they retain a lot of that information. So from the start, you need to be teaching them. You know, when you reach a certain grade level, I I, want to say it's the first grade. I'm not sure. But there's a certain amount of vocabularies that you need, vocabulary that you need to have. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and and I think it's imperative as as parents that you make sure that your, your children are reading on grade level. And you got to know that school doesn't begin at 8 o'clock when the bell rings and it doesn't end at 3 p.m. You know, everything that you are doing, your interaction with your child should be a learning lesson. You should always be teaching. Yeah. And if we do that, we'll definitely be in a better position. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you that you brought up earlier I had already planned on asking this. Um, and uh, part two, you know, mm-hmm. kind of deal with uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, um, which, um, you know, was the decision, I believe, in 57 that... Uh, no, 54. 54? My bad, 54. Uh, 54 that integrated the schools, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you had, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas, and... Mm-hmm you know, uh, a lot of these uh, schools in the South where it became extremely hostile, you know, uh, an extremely hostile uh, process. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, the, I've read, you know, arguments on both sides where, you know, some say that, especially in the South, there were uh, schools that were, as far as like the physical structure, like falling apart in the middle of the in the middle of the uh, uh, you know South, like there's no way to keep it cool. There were they had teachers that uh, you know maybe had eighth grade education and so forth, and um, you know so that they say that you know at that point we had no uh, we had 
we had no no choice, no choice but, but to, to right. Um, what, what, what is your thoughts on that? That's that that's not true. That's not true. Now we probably didn't have the best uh, schools as far as structure and interior, but so what? You know, what I mean, no one goes to school to uh, explore the decor and, and, and how well built the school is. You go there to learn, right? You know, you can learn. Um, we guard body. You know, right. what I mean, we 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 teach each and every day in each and every way. You know, whether it's in the park, the rooftops. So, you know. It, it, it doesn't matter the structure. And, and, and that's a lie when they said mm-hmm. individuals teaching with an eighth grade education, right? Mm-hmm. Because we had some of our most esteemed scholars come from black institutions that only went to black schools. So right. that, that that's a lie right there. Let, let, let me explain something, right? When they did Brown versus Board of Education, what they did was essentially integrated the students and not the teachers. 82,000 teachers that was responsible for teaching over 1 million Black teachers was out of jobs Mm. in 23 Mm. states, right? Right. So those that was there that had our best interests at heart was no longer there. Right. So now we're going to these different schools, you know, and then when you get to the the 70s, they had it where um, they started busing uh, individuals from what what, what they would call nowadays uh, undeserved communities to schools in the suburbs, Mm -hmm. right? And that didn't work, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because the, the teaching, you know, and, and, and this is another thing, right? If I had to do another documentary and I said I wouldn't in regards to the elementary genocide series, you know, I ended it at three. But just say if I did another one, right? Mm-hmm. I would show and prove, right? Without a shadow of a doubt, right? That education is good, but the European education, the notion that we look at education as uh, reading, arithmetic, and math, and science, that you don't really need all of that. Mm-hmm. Most of us need to learn a trade. Mm-hmm. We need to become coders. We need to become engineers. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of us are seeing that college is a trick bag. It is. You 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 can go to a, a four-year college and end up with over $200,000 in debt. Yeah, and then when like you work in a job, all you're doing is just paying off your debt. Whereas if you went to a trade school and you become an airplane engineer and they starting you at $80,000 and you could make up to $120,000 a year, are you doing coding? Are you being an entrepreneur and opening up your own businesses and providing jobs in the community? Mm-hmm. They don't teach you that in school. They don't teach you how that you can leverage your business credit and get loans from banks and open up more businesses. They don't, they don't teach you budgeting. They don't teach you taxing. They don't teach you that instead of renting to buy a home, you know, to take the equity out of there and invest in business, how to establish generational wealth. None of that is taught in school, but guess what? Since the advent of social media, Black people are teaching it to themselves. We are joining online courses. We got some of the most dynamic entrepreneurs that are becoming multi-millionaires and some billionaires Mm. that are on here teaching and giving the game for free. So this generation is not really looking at college as the previous generation, my generation or your generation. So um, they're realizing that um, college and the schooling as defined in the uh, European and Western society sense is is not really for the black man, women, and child, children. You know, um, we were, you know, our generation, we were told uh, to graduate high school, 
go to college mm-hmm. and get a job, right? And I'm not one that says that there's no use uh, for college, but I think a lot of people... It's not for everybody. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Because um, before you go on, let, let me say this, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I go into the penitentiaries, I go into universities, and, I, and I've been speaking all around the world, right? One of the most profound questions I was ever asked, and I'll always remember this question, is how could we be surrounded by rich criminals and broke educated people? Damn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you're surrounded by rich criminals and, 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 and poor college educated people, then then you, you look at a different route. You know, mm-hmm. you got some people are just in it for the money. Mm-hmm. They go on where the money is at. Yeah. So that's why you have to give them another alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, rich criminals and poor graduates. Did you ever see that? Um, brother, no uh, and then not only this, right? There has been studies mm-hmm. that show that a white person with a criminal record, right, has a better and far greater chance of getting a job than a college graduate. Yo, I just I just saw a study that showed um, something similar where white men uh, who um, white men who only graduated high school have a better chance at getting a job than black men who graduated college. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next question. Uh, you know, you kind of meant about, you uh, kind of mentioned the Harvard thing. Um, uh, you know, they got a book, Ebony and Ivory, about- Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know about- Yeah, and, and about the, you know, slavery in Harvard, right? And some of the other uh, institutions that everybody holds in high esteem. And then you also have, you know, a lot of our uh, kids go to HBCUs, right? And there are some negative things um, going on at HBCUs, and I would say there's some positive things going on at HBCUs. But and and if we, in essence, what do you think the role of our HBCUs uh, should be? Like, what should they be preparing our, uh, you know, youth for, and 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 what direction should they be pushing? Now, when it comes to HBCUs, I I love and support them. Mm-hmm, me too. So, like I said, I'm not against college. I just feel like college is not for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you see that there's a person that is real good with his hands, he's not well-spoken, he's not um, an individual that is uh, well-read, but he, he works good with his hands, whether it's crafting, whether it's in the mechanical field, why not have him to be an auto auto mechanic? Mm-hmm. They make a lot of money. They make good money. You know how much plumbers make? Mm-hmm. Electricians, carpenters. So to get back to your question, right, with the HBCUs, right, over 90% of black lawyers, black doctors, um, black is black lawyers, black doctors, and um, uh, it was three of them. But either way, um, they come out of HBCUs. Mm. HBCUs produce some of our brightest minds. Right. Fact. You know, so um, we need it's to continue. Story. Yeah, we need to continue on with that legacy. Mm-hmm. However, I, I, I think um, with time, things have changed. You know, um, they need to start updating the curriculum in, in, in certain uh, subject matters and, and classes. You know, they need to be a class on, on web development. Mm. You know, um, teaching them about JavaScript and how to build websites. Mm-hmm. They need to be classes on investment. You know, how, 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 how to develop a, a, um, a credit union, you know, a hedge fund. You know how how to in, make generational wealth for your for, for your community and your family, different things like that. Yeah, indeed, indeed, man. That's a uh, that's powerful, powerful, man. Um, when it comes to liberation, right, uh, and um, you know, building and educating our people and uh, working towards uh, freedom as a collective, um. 
obviously, you know, historically, we've seen that there's uh, a role for everybody, whether it's an athlete like Muhammad Ali or, um, you know, doctors, lawyers, like you mentioned, um, filmmakers. Also, you know, you have Oscar Mishu and and how his response to uh, Birth of a Nation. You being a filmmaker yourself, um, what do you, a filmmaker with knowledge itself and someone who actively works to liberate our people, what do you think the role of the Black filmmaker is as far as our community? I wouldn't just say filmmakers. I would just say as a melanated Black individual, everything that you do in life should be to liberate and educate your people in some form, some capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's hiring individuals that look like you, that come from your community, passing the baton down. Um, but I think being a filmmaker, the burden is more heavier, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're dealing with the representation of us. Yeah. And we know that white society is going to show us as hypersexual and criminals. So we have a duty and we should all be duty bound to portray us in the right light. Now, I'm not saying that we can't make no movies that, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, show yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know, the underbelly of black society because it does exist. Right. But that shouldn't be 85% of the movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I said, you have to create balance and, and it, we need it in, the music industry and we need it in the film industry. And believe it or not, um, a lot of people are looking for movies that has a, a message in it. Right. And um, Hollywood has, has taken notice of this. And the, the, the sad part about it is, is that a lot of people are joining on with Hollywood to make these movies that doesn't act adequately depict us. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you one of them, um, The Woman King. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to ask you about I that. haven't seen the movie, mm-hmm. but I read the synopsis, right? Mm-hmm. And then I looked on IMBD, mm-hmm. and I seen that, um, you know, in filmmaking, they have what they call top-of-the-line producers, and the four top-of-the-line producers, uh, two of them are Black, is uh the uh, Viola Davis and her husband, mm-hmm. and then the other two producers are white. Mm-hmm. The screenwriter's white and the director's white. The, scre- the screenwriter is, matter of fact, not the screenwriter. Um, one of them is LBGT, mm-hmm. right? The way they are telling this story is that these courageous warrior women fought off the Europeans, right? They're not telling a story about how they sold their own people into slavery to the Europeans for rifles, for alcohol, and little tricklets. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's not being told. You know, um, and I guarantee you, like I said, you know, they only put out uh, the trailer. They're going to have something that's LBGT in there. I guarantee you that. Oh, yeah. And there's a very good book that um, everybody should read, and it's called uh, Barracoon. Ooh, and it's by... Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And that talks about the last slave ship that uh, came to America was called the Catilda. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it talks about Cujo, who was um, the last... He was the youngest and oldest slave ever, you know, um, here on the soils of North America. Um, he died in his 90s, and he died, I think, in the 1930s. But they brought him over here when he was like 10 years old. And the thing about it, this was the last slave ship because uh, slavery wasn't imbo- abolished. The importation of right. slaves was abolished. And they went and snuck and brought 110 slaves to Mobile, Alabama. He was the youngest one, and he was the last surviving member of them. Um, 
That book explores his life. I actually have a documentary I've been working on um, called Africa Town. But that is a hell of a story. And it tells about the Dahomey tribe and what they did to their own people. And I know for a fact Hollywood is not going to tell that story. And see, this is the thing, right? Um, If I was to campaign to the community and say, listen, I need this money. I want to do this film, this, that, and the other. It probably would be a struggle for me to get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The three films that I did, I put up my money, you know? And, and when I did campaign for it, um, I didn't get the uh, deserving amount. The amount mm-hmm. that I got wasn't significantly enough to do anything with, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but Hollywood, where they have a flush of money, they can go and do things and get big name people to participate in it. And they never depict us in, in, in the right uh, light. But like I said, man, um, we, we, we got to see what this movie looked like. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Do you remember, um, hey, you know, they? I think we've seen about it for some years now, but uh, I think Danny Glover was back in the day was trying to make a movie about the Haitian Revolution, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't they wouldn't fund it because there was no white savior. Yeah, and you know what? Tyreek made it. Tyreek yeah, Nasheed. Yeah, it was a number one bestseller, beating out Harry Potter and all <laughs> those other movies. Right. You know, so it just goes to show you that there is an audience for that type of movie. Oh, facts. And Hollywood knows it, but what Hollywood is going to do is they're going to embellish the truth and they're going to put the white savior in there. Yeah. You know, like Django was a good movie, but they put the white savior in there. Even when you look at Rosewood, you look at any of those movies where they show a little bit of the history, but Mm -hmm. there's always an element of a white savior. What does that say about Hollywood that they keep interjecting these white savior uh movies about black history um for example like remember the uh I, the harriet movie Help. oh yeah that's terrible and then the uh and then and then the uh remember the movie about uh my man that played for the baltimore ravens i forgot uh forgot his name uh but he you know he gets taken in by the white family oh you're talking about Something now, right? Yeah, yeah, but he, but you know, the football player, right? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it called? Oh, um, huh? I, I forgot. Hold on. Wasn't it called not the Green Mile? Not the Green Mile, um, because that uh, was. Uh, I know you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, he came. Yeah, he came out and said, he said it that wasn't that, like that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what does it say about Hollywood? For, you know, for their need to continue to do this. You know what I mean? Well, they always want to portray, you know, Jesus is there. You know, they got Jesus. He's supposed to be a white saver. Mm-hmm. They always want to be able to have a what they call a benevolent white person that they can point to and you say, Black Panther. not all bad. We, we're here to help you. You know, um, and, and the only movie, well, he can't even be a white savior, but he was an ally. Was John Brown. Why they don't make that movie? Yeah, why they don't make that movie? Right? Yeah, because he was on the right side of history. Right. And he was an abolitionist, abolitionist that was trying to help eradicate slavery. Right. But, you right. know, that would be a good story. And, and, and they can show also that it was a black man, a handkerchief head Negro that betrayed him and sold him out and told them about what he was planning on doing. Mm. Mm, but see, they don't want to show that, man. Right, right. You know, I was uh, remember reading about that Harriet Tubman movie that had came out, uh, and they—I never watched it, but they created a whole black man that didn't exist this. to be the villain, man. Like that's wild. Like, do you think, like, in certain cases, like they, you know, like black the first off, obviously the image of the black man and woman in Hollywood, in Hollywood and TV. Uh, and in music, uh, you know what I'm saying, is pushed in an extremely negative light. Does, does that connect with 
what's being done to, in school, meaning, you know, kids, they're in front of tablets, they're in front of TVs, watching, you know, uh, streaming things, mm -hmm. YouTube, whatever, you know what I mean? And they're seeing these images of, you know, in hip hop is the, the woman is the sex kitten, you know, that's all she rap about. And and then and the man is the man is a the dope dealer that got all the money. Uh and the movies might be a little bit more subtle, but like we just mentioned, and you know, a woman, a, a, a child could be watching the Harriet Tubman movie and like, you know, really trying to learn something, but they see uh, a black man as the uh, antagonist that didn't exist. But do you think like, is this part of the reason why we must educate our youth the right way? Because things like this that are supposed to be entertainment are actually doing more than entertain. It's indoctrinating our children to have low self-esteem and to be some, uh, to be other than their own self. Absolutely. When you look at that movie, right? The Harry Tubman movie, you know it was a flop, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that movie flopped <laughs> real hard, right? Mm -hmm. First of exactly. all, the uh, individual that played Harriet Tubman, um, I think she's British or something like that. A lot of people was apprehensive about her playing Harriet Tubman, right? It was like all of these foundation Black Americans, and this is who y'all pick, and you can see that she didn't have that spirit of Harriet Tubman. Mm. So it didn't resonate over the, over the screen. It didn't resonate with the audience. That was number one, right? Number two was that people have went back. Her name is Cynthia Eva or whatever her name is. But people have went back on, um, in time on her Twitter. And she expressed a lot of vitriol for our foundation black Americans. So she ain't even on the right side of history. Right. You know what I mean? Um, her whole uh, attitude towards us is the same manner as those of white supremacists. Mm. So when, 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 when people, when that came out and people were seeing that, you know, we got on code and was like, nah, we're not supporting that. And it flopped. And if we continuously do that, then Hollywood won't be putting out that garbage. Like this movie here. Once it come out and people get wind of it, oh, y'all got the LBG, LBGT, and whatever other alphabet letters that go with that. Oh, y'all got that in there? Okay, cool. We ain't rocking with that. And that flop, then, you know, it take about two or three of them. You know, it's only so many tax write-offs you're going to get. Right. And then they're going to stop doing it. Because, listen, we are the buying power. Mm. Nothing moves unless foundational Americans make it happen. We set the cultural trends, whether it's in movie, whether it's in fashion, whether it's in film, arts, anything that we do becomes a phenomenon for America and the world over. So we have to stay on code. We have to call it out when we see it. And, and, and once it flops, they're going to stop doing it. Because it's all about money with these people anyway. They're not really, they don't care about telling Harriet Tubman's story. You know, hell, yeah. they, they don't even want her on the $20 bill. Right, right, right. Well, you think they really going to tell the truth about her? Right, 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 right. Nah, nah, they're not. And, you know, it kind of brings me to this, like growing up, um, seeing school days, uh, do the right thing. Mm. Uh, Spike Lee became, you know, like he was that dude to me, you know, as far as the movies that he made, and um, then he made Jungle Fever. Nah, <laughs> I like Spike, man. I like Spike. Spike. No doubt, no doubt. I, I rock with Spike. Um, but does this generation do they have a Spike Lee that is willing to touch these topics in a mainstream Hollywood, you know, what I'm saying type of setting? Um, I'm sure I, I, I would answer that in the affirmative as far as um is there um uh, uh spike lee of this generation but you said of mainstream right mm -hmm. and i'm i'm you know i really don't watch tv movies and you know here and there but i'm not i'm not into it. it's nothing out there you know mm -hmm. what i mean that resonates with me but if i had to pick someone Mm, mm. 
that's a good question. I'm probably gonna have to get back to you on that. Sure, I'm gonna think sure. too hard and say the wrong person. Yeah, yeah, no but doubt. I, I'm I'm sure there's someone that's out there and that's in, in his formative stage of becoming who Spike Lee was, you know what I mean? Who John Singleton was, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And listen here, the first movie might be a Boys in the Hood movie. Right. But eventually they may evolve and make movies that resonate with us as a people. Okay. And we just got to give these young brothers a chance. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, when I did, not to cut you off, but when mm -hmm. I did Elementary Genocide 3 and I said I was done with it, um, my next move was to do a full feature film. You know, um, I was in the process of writing it. In fact, I did write it. I just think I, I didn't get to the part where I finished, but I can always go back and revisit it. But um, that was my next step to start doing movies and making a mainstream and different things like that. As long as I control the storyline, the budget and the hiring, then it was going to be all good. Um, but what I, what I decided to do was to recreate the magic, not for me, but for these other brothers that's trying to do documentaries, mm. things like that. So I've been working on a couple of documentaries with individuals behind the scene. Um, some of them I could talk about, some of them I can't because we're still in the um, infinite stage. Let's talk about the ones you can't talk about. All right, there's one that um, I assisted with um, as far as shooting and editing. Um, it's called B1. It's mm. called Black First, and it's a uh, Rick Mathis and uh, Boyce Watkins collaboration. Um, that's going to be a hell of a documentary. It's coming out in uh, October, um, and I'm actually featured in that. Dope. You know, I, I was just, you know, doing camera work and editing. And um, one day we were sitting around talking. They're like, hey, man, come on, man. You got to get in front of the camera and say that. <laughs> right. I'm like, yo, throw the lights on, man. Press right. record. And so I, I make an appearance in that. And then I'm in uh, Tariq Nasheed's uh, new movie. It's called The American Maroon. Mm. Have you seen the trailer to that yet? Uh, I haven't. I knew it was coming out. I haven't seen the trailer yet. Ah man, you gotta see that trailer. It's a hell of a trailer, yeah. But that that that's gonna be out soon. And then um, I got some young brothers, right? Mm -hmm. These brothers is cold with it, you know. They yeah. working on three documentaries, and I'm in one of them, and I'm working on the other one. I don't know if I'm gonna be involved in the third one due to time constraints. So I'm making my way back around, and yeah. um, I, I do want to do something, um. We need another uh, love and basketball. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We, need, we, we need another um, Jason lyrics. Right. You know, something Don't like make that. Don't make kind so. of movies no more on the on the big on the main. I mean, we do on the independent level, which is dope, and I support those. But like Hollywood, that like they don't, you know, like black people don't have love stories. Yeah, but you know what? If 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 a movie comes out and it resonates with us, you don't really need Hollywood. Man. That's bad. You know, um, you could put it on YouTube and five million people could see it within a 30-day time span. Yeah. You know, so you can reach people where they at without having to uh go through Hollywood's distribution system. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great thing. Um, you can get it on Netflix, you can get it on Hulu, you can get it on uh what is it, Tubi? Yeah, something like that. Uh, that 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 makes me uh you know, in music, right? How the record label used to control everything. And then when the social media, YouTube, a lot of people started bypassing uh, the label. Absolutely. Do you think the same thing is happening in film? Oh, I, absolutely. There's, there's so many different ways of funding film now. Um, ways as far as distribution, Absolutely. Um, even even like with 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 me, um, I took the non-traditional route. You know, I did have a distributor, um, but it was a distributor that got me in a lot of like moms and pop stores and different things like that. Um, but I started hitting the circuit, you know, colleges, high school, um, social media, and I started doing screenings all around the country. I was selling it on um, Amazon, iTunes, you know, on my own website. And um, I, I didn't have to go to Hollywood. 
Yeah. And, and I made it to number one on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. No, no major backing. Yeah, I, you know, when it first came out, I remember seeing it everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. I saw ads everywhere, you know, people posting it, people just, just like everywhere in conscious spaces, bookstores, uh, black bookstores, you know, um, and, and that's, you make a good point about now, you know, we can tell the stories that we want to tell and we don't need uh, permission from Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, as somebody who is a filmmaker and who is assisted in uh, other other people's films and has made your own, um, what is that process like, man? I know I know a lot goes into it. Everybody always sees the finished product, but we rarely, you know, get to see um, what goes into making it. You know what I mean? And I know that's a I know that's a process that that's pretty time consuming. And and so, what is that like, though? Well, the, the, the main component of it is always doing the research. Mm. You know, whatever your subject matter is in, you need to be thorough about that. Mm-hmm. You need to leave no rock unturned when it comes to research. And if you don't know it, whoever you're interviewing should be able to elaborate on the subject matter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the main key components is you got to have your research down pat. Um, and another thing that a lot of people like to bypass is that, you know, with today's technology, you know, you don't need a big Hollywood set to do a documentary. Mm. Even if, you know, you're going to recreate uh, scenes in order to um, increase the production value and, and, and have the storyline flowing you don't really need a big budget to, to, to do documentaries. If, if we're speaking about documentaries. Um, so I, I just think that's like two of the main components that, that individuals need to know about. You know, with me, I think it was a little bit easier because naturally I'm a writer, right? So I know how to make a story flow. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a subject matter, like I said, that I had to do a paper for in school. Right. So the research was already there, mm-hmm. although I had to do more research um, and then interviewing people. Mm-hmm. That's what really made me do uh, part two, mm-hmm. because when you do documentaries, uh, it's always time constraint. Right. You only got an hour, 30 minutes, hour, 10 minutes, whatever you want it to be. You, you just can't just make a two-hour documentary. Yeah, some people do it, and um, I can't sit two hours, man. Like it has to be very engaging, right? You know. Um, so when I was out, a lot of people would tell me. Well, I remember being out one time, and um, sister came and she asked me. She said, "I see you talk about uh, the disparity that's happening to our young men, but what about the black women?" You know what I mean? Do you know that there has been an um, 800% increase in the last 30 years of incarceration of Black women? Mm. No, I didn't know that, man. I went, did the research, and wound up putting that in there, you know? Um, so it, it, it was different things like that, you know? Um, and you, you got to be mindful, like I said, how that storyline flows. Right. Um, and then you just got to, you know... I. I I edit, so that 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 was a main component of it. Um, and then you just gotta have the money, you know, because it it, it costs. Indeed, indeed, man. Um, Raheem Shabazz, uh, God, man, I, I definitely appreciate you know you you sitting down with us, man, and just kind of going over you know your history and and dropping jewels, man. As far as people that you know, haven't seen the DVDs and, and want to purchase them. Is there, I know they're on Amazon. Is there a specific place you would rather them purchase from or is it all good wherever they find it? Yeah, I, I just recently took it off Amazon. Okay. I, took the, I took the DVDs off Amazon. You can go on Amazon and, and, and stream it. Um, I also have it on another website for streaming. Um, it's called Quali TV. You also could go on Gumroad to stream it. Um, if you want to buy the physical DVD, you can go to elementarygenocide.com. You know, I, I had a, um, 
a nice run with Amazon, but Amazon take too much money. I heard. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, they take they 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 take a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I'm gonna put it on back on Amazon. Um, I think I might do it um around January. Mm-hmm. But the way I'm gonna do it now, I used to have Amazon um distribute it for me. You know, I send them it and it comes from the Amazon warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you go on Amazon and make your purchase, but mm-hmm. it still come from you know, our warehouse and we'll send it out to you directly. So that way Amazon doesn't take a lot of the money. So, um, that's, that's, that's one way, um, people can get it and, um, just stay tuned to me. You can always follow me on social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, TikTok, everything is at Raheem Shabazz. No doubt, God. Well, I appreciate you. I definitely support the movement. I definitely appreciate everything that you've done, man. You know, I know that, like you said, a lot of this came out your own pocket, but you had a vision. You made that vision um, manifest, and you mm-hmm. know, we appreciate you for that, God. And I definitely appreciate you sitting down and, and taking the time to go over that with us. Absolutely, man. Revolutionary salute to you, God. No appreciate doubt, God. you having me. No doubt, God. Peace. All right, peace.